Today we are going to look at justice, Jesus, and repentance. Now you and I have this love affair with justice. You say, no, no, we don't. Do you have a TV set? We love justice. Every other show is about justice. Look, um, Law and Order SVU or SUV. I'm never really sure which it is. Um, Chicago Justice, Chicago PD, Person of Interest, The Blacklist, CSI, NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles, NCIS New Orleans, NCIS Pitkin. You get the idea. Why do we have this love affair with Justice with TV crime justice. Well, because we know our world is messed up and we can visit this world that is messed up and see it get fixed, uh, at least in part, within an hour until next week. Now, if they did not catch the bad guys, if there was no justice, you would stay with it about as long as you would a rerun of Honey Boo Boo, right? So we have this, we have this thing that we love justice for other people. Right? For those people. Not so much for ourselves. How do I know? Because we do not like to get speeding tickets. How do I know this? Because I was ticketed. And I was ticketed off about it. Um, I was going 12 miles over on my way uh, back from Montrose about three weeks ago. Maybe you want a pastor who is less of a lawbreaker. So do I. So do I. But... um, I will tell you, I had ideas, not about my own deserving nature, but of the state trooper that wrote the ticket. And these ideas were not to send him chocolates and and send him a thank you card. So I'm all about justice, but I'm about justice for other people, right? So not only do we have this dysfunctional kind of relationship with justice, but you and I can have a dysfunctional idea of Jesus. Now, Every morning I read the Wall Street Journal online. And that's not my idea of fun. Uh, I have to do it for my uh, work at the Western Foundation. And anytime there's an article that mentions God or mentions faith, I always check the comments because it's very interesting. There's always um, one believer out there. Sometimes there's only one who will, who will mention Jesus or, or quote something from Scripture. And, and then everybody will pretty much gang tackle that, that person, right? And, and then usually, usually there's a mediator who comes in, right? There's a person who doesn't want to like throw Jesus out with the bathwater, Right, but thinks that apparently most Jesus followers are idiots. So um, they will invariably say something like this. If we just read and just believe the words of Jesus, rather than all the other stuff of the Bible that his followers wrote, if we just focus on the then we'll be all about love, we'll be all about acceptance, we'll all be all about tolerance and all of that judgment and all of that wrath and all, all that stuff will go away. And and when I read that, I can be pretty sure that that well-meaning person has never actually read the words of Jesus, right? How do I know this? Because of what we're going to talk about today and some of the things that he said and, and what we are to make of them. So for some of us, in our imaginations, there's this God, this Jesus that is only about love and acceptance and Whenever, would never mention like justice or wrath or, or righteousness or things like that or repentance. And, and the problem is that that uh, Jesus just doesn't exist. 
this just doesn't exist. So what we're going to do is we're going to press into this and, and we're going to see that even in the bad news, understanding the bad news helps us appreciate and enjoy and, and revel in the great good news of the gospel. So that's what we're going to do. Now, first, just a little bit of background. God created um, our first parents as his masterpiece of creation. He created you and me in his image as, as his masterpiece, as good, perfect, holy, and in loving, perfect relationship. But then there was the fall. Now, um, Stuart Briscoe wisely says that there are so, a lot of people who um, have problems with the idea of the fall, right? The fall of creation, the fracturing. But everybody pretty much will agree that things aren't the way they should be. They're not the good way that things ought to be, right? And when we agree to that, we are presuming that there is a good way that things ought to be that is different than the way things are now, okay? So the difference between that, the way things ought to be, and the way things are now, that is the fall. That's the fall. And we can go more into it another day, but it's, it's important that we realize that of all the beautiful things that broke in that moment and, and all the ugly things that were brought in, um, that at the root of it, at the root of it is this. The most precious thing that was broken in the fall was our all-consuming love relationship with God and all the pain in your life and all the pain in our world and all the destruction is, is related as its root cause uh, with the, with the all-consuming love relationship with God being fractured. And, and so that is what we want to press into. That's what we want to take a look at. Every forfeited beauty, every deplorable evil has at its root this. And because of that, this is true. The sin of rejecting Jesus his love and mercy, which is to repair that relationship, is the greatest sin anyone can commit. Because God is saying, okay, I want my people back to the way, to the way I, I planned it to be. I want everyone to come back. So here we're going to take a look in Luke chapter 10 at the thing that makes the ice cream Jesus people were so upset. Okay, here we go. Um, it's chapter 10, Luke. This is Jesus' words. Um, he is speaking. We'll pick it up at verse 13. Here we go. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Now, Jesus is not like smacking it down and, and happy. He is brokenhearted. Why? Because he's not really talking about cities. He's talking about people. Of, that, of those cities that he loves, who, who are rejecting him and, and destroying themselves because of it. He goes on, For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have, what's that word right there? Will you say it with me? Re repented. That's the key. They would have repented. That would set this all apart. Long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. That's how the, the ancient Jews would, would show their, their um, turning from themselves to God. They're turning from their sin to righteousness. They're, they're pleading for forgiveness. But it will be more bearable in the what? What's that word? Judgment. Jesus talks about it. For Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum. Will you be exalted to heaven as was his desire? No. You shall be brought down to Hades. He's talking about H-E double hockey sticks, Right? I mean, you are never going to find this on a coffee cup, 
right? Or greeting cards. You're just not. That's not a popular thing. That is not a popular thing to think about. Would he say the same thing about the people of Gunnison and the people of Western? I don't know. I don't know. It depends whether we're willing to repent, whether we're willing to agree with God about our brokenness and our need for healing, whether we're willing to to turn and say, no, the way that things are in me is not the way things ought to be. And you are the healer. You are the repairer. You are the forgiver. Make me right. That's the question. Will we do that? Now, Jesus, don't get me wrong, is love. God is love. The problem is Jesus is not only love. Jesus is also about justice, which we talked about. Here's what justice is. Justice is the administering of deserved punishment or reward. Now, you do not want justice for yourself, okay? I do not want justice. We want mercy, far better. I'm gonna give you this for free. If you're ever in a room or ever in a line, and they say, get in one of these two lines, and one says justice, and one says mercy. Get in the mercy line, okay? That's for free, okay? We want mercy, but God is also about justice. God, we have a God who is going to make all things right. And in the abstract, we really like that, right? We want that. We want the fact that God is going to show up at some point and he's going to make all things right. There's a lot of reason to celebrate that. What that means is that there would be no more hate, violence, abuse, crime, disease, uh, 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 human trafficking, war, terrorism, um, uh, you know, division between people. He's going to make that right. But there's also a lot of reason for us to be concerned Because part of making that right means making us right. Because to one degree or another, you and I are part of that problem that needs to be made right. And so that's why repentance is so important, right? So many people think that each person gets to make up their idea of what's moral and what's right and what their principles are. And, And Jesus just pretty much says, nope. There is coming a day when you and I will stand before him and we will be judged according to his version, his standards, his morality, his righteousness. And how is that going to go? How is that going to go? Because I find myself hoping that God is going to grade on the curve, right? I'm going to get above 50%. But scripture is the problem here. Here's what the brother of Jesus wrote, right? He says, for every, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for it, all of it. Do you know what that means? We mess up once and we're guilty of being lawbreakers as if we broke every single one of them. So it's not pass fail. It's a hundred or zero. It's a hundred or zero. It's ace or fail. Now, Jesus loves you. He got you covered in this. I want you to imagine that you're taking an exam upon which your entire degree depends, upon which your entire future depends. And you're going into it knowing you are unprepared. You're going to fail. 
And then you look at the questions and you are absolutely certain you're going to fail. Some of you, God bless you, are very familiar with this feeling. However, sitting next to you is this phenom of a student, the smartest kid in the class who only has ever gotten 100%. And when the teacher is looking the other way, this student says to you, whispers to you, hey, will you let me put your name on my paper and you put my name on your paper? And you say, sure. (laughs) But you're going to fail. And the student says, I know, but you're going to get 100, and that's what I want. My friends, that is the cross of Jesus Christ. That is the love of somebody who knows we ain't getting home without mercy. Make no mistake about it. Nobody who shows up in heaven deserves to be there. It is through repentance and forgiveness that he grants us the grace. That's what it is. That's what it is. And in one sense, we kind of get this. In one sense, we kind of get this. Because in Gunnison, now I don't, I don't like this rule because typically I do not wear socks and I have ugly feet. But when you visit somebody else's house in Gunnison, particularly during mud season, a lot of people will ask you to remove your shoes before you come in. Why is that? Because their house is clean and the outside is dirty. And the dirt that is on your shoes, if you do not take them off, will get in the house. And then the house will become dirty like the outside is. So we get this. How much more is this true of heaven? which is perfectly pure and perfectly beautiful and perfectly holy. But what if the problem is not our shoes and the dirt that's on them, but our hearts? What then? That's why we need to be perfect. And the only way we become perfect is through borrowed, gifted perfection of Jesus Christ. So that leads us to repentance. And in the passage that we looked at, Jesus makes four things absolutely clear. Let's see how we're doing. Okay. All right. Number one, there will be a judgment day. Okay. Number two, Jesus is the one who determines how that day will go for you. I don't get to determine that. He does. Three, it will have everything to do with how you have or haven't responded to Jesus, right? And number four, repentance is the only way to be washed clean and accepted by God. That is what he showed us. So some of us are thinking, how good am I at repentance? How likely am I to repent? Ask yourself these questions. How proud, stubborn, and defensive am I in my relationships, in my family, in my friendships? How quick am I to justify myself and insist on being right? I'm a victim of circumstance, right? It's somebody else's fault. How resistant am I to apologize? If that describes you, then then we need to press in even farther because we need to be addicted to the beauty of repentance because that's where the relationship is restored and strengthened, where he pours into us. It's not a bad word. It's a beautiful word. It is a wonderful thing. And we need to be good at it. Now, 
Here is the truth. We all need to be great at this. We all need to be serial, addicted repenters because we all need it. Here's what scripture says as it is written. None is righteous. No, not one. Nobody. You say, wait, that can't be true. Okay, let's, let's explore this together. Now, forget about God's top 10. Okay, just forget about it. Let's, let's, God, Jesus boils it down to two. Love God, love other people. We're, we're, we'll look at just the first one. Okay, here he says, uh, a guy comes up to Jesus, says, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you shall love, you've heard this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That's everything. You love him with everything that you are, every moment, every ounce, every, every fiber of your being. This is the greatest and first commandment. Wow. Wow. In other words, here it is. Your love relationship with God will be your constant and joyful obsession. You will always seek to draw closer to him and to please him. And you will never let anything put any distance between you. That is the ideal. That if you and I could live this, we would be so joyful. We might explode into glitter, right? That's that. I mean, really, that is it. We would love God so much. We would be so absorbed, so, so saturated in his love and loving him and receiving his love that we would feel rightly about other people, right? Because we would see other people as he does with, with compassion and love and, and encouragement and wanting their best and keeping all the rules would take care of themselves, right? So as you see, it's about love. Jesus is all about relationship, not about rules. It's the rules that, that come out of the relationship, right? Has anybody ever messed this up? Gosh, only if you're breathing, right? I sure have. And when we do this, when we fall short of it, it's not a mistake. It's not a bad choice. It's what the Bible calls sin. Falling short of the glory of God and the glory he's called us into, right? That's what it is. It's rebellion. It's rebellion. And that's why we need to repent. It is rebellion against breaking the love relationship that God created you and me to have. How do we get into this trouble? Let's take a look at it. Romans 2, Paul writes, Or do you presume, are you taking advantage of God? I do this all the time. Presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. The more we know of how good God is, the more... Boldly we come before him to know that the only thing on the other side of repentance is mercy and grace and love and, and restoration, right? But because you are hard and impenitent, impenitent means not repenting. You are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath, which God does not want to pour out. I'll show you the proof. When God's righteous judgment will be Revealed. That's, that's the reason. Don't get this wrong. This is not primarily written to people who don't know God. These people know God. They believe in God. They, they, they're all aware of this. However, they feel meh. I know you're there. I just have better things to do than to love you with all my heart. Truth be told, that's where we find ourselves. So this is God's kindness is to lead us to repentance. Why does God, why can't Jesus win with us? 
right? If his kindness is leading us to repentance is meant to, why can't he make that work? Here's how hard our hearts get. When, when God is good to us, right? When God is good to us and our, and our life is falling into place and things are going well and we're being blessed, you know what happens? We tend to forget about him. Or worse yet, we tend to claim that the reason things are going well is because of our hard work and genius. Or maybe there's sin in our life and we know it ought not be there, but we're not paying the penalty for it right now. We're not seeing the pain that comes with that. So we think that God is looking the other way and winking when actually in patience and kindness, he's trying to draw you and me to himself, to our knees, to repentance. So when he is positive and blessing to us, it doesn't lead us to repentance. And when he can't get our attention that way, sometimes he allows us to experience difficulty. And then what do we do? We blame him for it. Lord, if you're good, why is my life bad? Right? And he's saying, look, whether it's beauty or pain, ease or difficulty, I'm just trying to draw you closer. I'm trying to draw you closer so that you can repent, so that we can repair this relationship, so that you can plead with me. Here is why. Here's what it's all about. The story of our broken lives, yours and mine, is our continual search for something other than Jesus to make us happy, to make us satisfied, to make us fulfilled. How do I know this? because I'm good at this, unfortunately. A continual search for something other than Jesus to do it for me. And when we do that, we need to, we need to come to repentance and say, God, you're the only one. You're the only satisfaction. You're the only joy. You're the only identity. Otherwise, I'll spend my whole life and my passions and my money and my time looking for a Jesus substitute. And that is what trips up the world and that's what trips up the church so often. And he calls us to repent so that we can repair the relationship because that broken relationship, when it's completely severed, that is the definition of what he was referring to with Hades, with hell. That is the definition of hell, is that completely severed relationship. I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, no, it's not. No, it's not. I have friends who couldn't care less about Jesus would still describe their life as good. Good point. Let's kind of walk through that together and think about it. Look, because Jesus loves you, Jesus ultimately will give you what you want, if it's him or not him. But not him doesn't look like what you think it looks like. Why is that? Because whether we believe in Jesus or not, we are still living at a time when he is present, when his blessings, when his hand, when his handiwork is still available to us. That his, his, his grace and his blessings are shared with those who love him and those who reject him. So not Jesus doesn't look like what we think it looks like. You say, well, without Jesus, I can still enjoy my friends and family. I'm sorry. No. 
friends and family are things that he came up with. The things, that love, that, that fellowship, that joy of being with people that you care about have things in common with, that's a, that comes from God. And without Jesus, there's only loveless isolation. You say, well, without Jesus, I still enjoy nature and skiing and climbing and exploring. No, you don't. That nature, that's creation we're talking about. That's his handiwork. That's his artwork. And all of that was intended for us to enjoy. And its ultimate purpose is to point us to him, not to, not to terminate on itself. Without Jesus, there is none of those things. There is none of that beauty. Well, without Jesus, I, I still experience the, the thrills of adrenaline and adventure. Um, he discovered, he invented, he wove into us adrenaline and adventure so that when we would taste it in the natural, we would hunger for it in the supernatural. Because the ultimate adrenaline and adventure is partnering with the God of the universe in that, in that consuming love relationship that elevates everything. You say, well, I just want to escape from some of the bad in the world. And, and I could do that without loving Jesus. I could do that through music and art and busyness and substances and sex and stimulation of various kinds. And, and I would say to you that those things, the good things, are just samples of what he wants to do for us I've said this before, even the destructive things, what you really want is a good thing. The way that you meet that need sometimes is not. But all of those good things point to the best thing. And so we, they're not meant to terminate on themselves. Jesus is our hiding place. He is our escape hatch. Escaping in Jesus allows us to not withdraw from the world, but to go back into it because we don't want anybody that we care about to be living a lie and hopeless. So it doesn't look like what we think it looks like. So all the things you want apart from Jesus are a part of Jesus. And when he pulls out, all the things that you think you enjoy without him are gone. So that's why I say the severing of that relationship completely is everything we fear. That's what Christless living ultimately leads to. And Jesus doesn't want that for any of us. Okay, so here's a, here's a popular question. And we'll do one thing and then we'll go. Is Jesus accepting or exclusive? The answer is yes. Right? Jesus will accept anyone and everyone, regardless of their past, who repents. Anyone and everyone, regardless of their past, who repents. In that sense, he is ultimately accepting. However, it's the God of the universe and we come to him on his terms and his terms are that we would bow before him, that we would say our righteousness will never get us there, but yours will. I repent. Some people will go for that. Some people will not. Some people will reject that. 
Those who reject it, he will grant their request to be apart from him. In that sense, Jesus is exclusive. He is entirely accepting and yet exclusive. So don't try to make him one or the other. He's both. He's about love. He's about justice. Okay. Now, you and I have a choice. Jesus can either give us the judgment that we deserve or we can in repentance ask him to take the judgment on himself and give us his righteousness. When we talked about that text, that's what theologians call the great exchange. And that is what repentance leads us into. Here's the scripture. Here's the great hope. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Not a little condemnation, not a bit, not a lot. There is none. Where did that condemnation go? Because as a just God, he doesn't just evaporate it. It has to go somewhere. Those who repent put their condemnation on Jesus and he gives us his righteousness. That way we have a God who can be fully just and fully loving. That is the only kind of God you want. And that is what we find in Jesus. And that is accessed through repentance. So how do I repent? How do I repent? How do I agree with God? How do I do this? It's more than just saying we're sorry. Because there are four levels of repentance. And we're called to enter into the deepest levels of repentance. And we're going to see that as we go through them. God is calling us to number four. And as we go through them, you're going to see that in human relationships and in spiritual relationships, these become more and more rare. Okay? As we move on. Number one. Well, we're going to say repenting. I skip that. Is not a bad word. It's receiving God's love and mercy and restoring our love relationship with him. So if, you're, if, you're, if the word bothers you, then think about receiving God's love and mercy and restoring our love relationship. That's what you're doing. That's why we need to be, whether you've never come to Christ and you're going to do this for the first time or you would describe yourself as a Christ follower and you want to be passionate and consumed and addicted to this. This needs to be a lifestyle, not just every day. I need this more than once a day. I need this as I eat and breathe and speak, right? God, restore that. God, forgive it. I give this to you. I give this to you. Forgive me. Got to do that. Here, here are the four. Number one, I want to avoid punishment. That's the most basic. Like you see this in your kids, right? The problem is, this is self-centered, right? It's manipulative. We're just trying to take care of ourselves. There's no love in that except for self. And then we move on to number two. It's, I don't like the way this makes me feel about myself. And we're getting closer because that's conviction, right? We, we have a, a, a sense of, of ought that we have disobeyed, right? But it's still about greater self-image. This is not about love of God. This is not about love of other people. This is, I don't like the way this makes me feel. So we need to move past that to number three. I don't like what this has done to others. I don't like what I've done to my wife. I don't like what I've done to my friends. I don't like what I've done to my kids. I don't like what I'm doing to my coworker. I don't like what I'm doing to God's church. I don't like that. 
That's love for others. And, but it, it stops short of the one, right, that is ultimately hurt by all, everything, everything. And that's Jesus. That's why we need to get to number four. This is it. It breaks my heart that I broke the heart of Jesus. This one who did everything to, to make uh, this wonderful love relationship. I have broken his heart and that breaks my heart and all he has done is lavish love on me and all I have done is try to live without him and try to advance my own agenda. That's repentance. That's repentance and that's what we need to do. You and I have to get to level four if we ever want to experience um, the depth of the healing of the relationship. We need to do this once when we come to Jesus for the first time and then habitually, addictively, compulsively, all the time. But if we're proud and if we're stubborn and if we're self-righteous and if we're always right and if we're good at fault-finding rather than fault-owning, it's going to be hard for us. So we need to repent of that. So I just encourage you. How could you not see the beauty of a God that rather than execute us for what we freely deserve comes and lets us execute him in our place? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. But in order to be able to relish and enjoy the good news, we've got to understand what the bad news is. You're cancer-free doesn't mean a whole lot to you unless you knew you were dying. So that's the difficulty of what we do today. But it's important it's important that we press into these verses that you don't hear very often, that you don't see on coffee cups, so that we can worship the real Jesus and not the one of our imagination. And that one says the key that opens the door to everything, forgiveness and restoration, is repentance. So if God has spoken to you, not Tom has spoken to you, if God has spoken to your heart, and this is what you want to do, I want to give you a tool to do that. Here it is. If we can put this on the middle screen, we're going to leave this up throughout the closing song. Here it is. It's just, it's just, it's, Jesus, I repent. I'm sorry for breaking your heart and our love relationship by, and you fill in that blank. You know, in your heart, just pour it out. Maybe that blank needs to be really long. It doesn't matter. Please forgive me and with your blood shed on the cross for me. Wash away my sin and all my guilt. That's why he did it for you. Thank you for taking the guilt and punishment I deserve. Restoring my relationship with you. Come into my heart and make me new so that I might not hurt you or others again. Now, if you've not given your heart to Jesus Christ, ask him, be my Lord and Savior. It's not wrong if you are a follower to reinforce that, to renew your vows, right? I will follow you all my days. Don't say this to yourself. Pray this. And if you do, he is faithful and just to forgive you everything and cleanse you from all unrighteousness and gift to you his righteousness. 
you have nothing to prove. You have nothing to measure up to. Just repent, and all will be well. In fact, better than well. You and I will begin to experience now what he created us for in eternity, having an all-consuming love relationship that nothing can separate. Do business with God, please. I'm going to sit up here. We've got other people who, who are prayers. They're going to come up. Um, if you need prayer for anything, we lost some people this week, um, a beloved teacher at Western. If you need prayer for that family, for yourself, for somebody in your life, whatever it is, you come. And whether it's at your seat or at the altar, or you please do what I do consistently because I have so many reasons to, and that's repent. It's the beautiful thing. It's the way he's given us to come back home. I love you.